Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. My message today is this question, or this idea rather, if you only knew. If you only knew. And you can be seated. I hesitate to start my message like this, but what, what if you knew that you had a week to live? How would you spend the final week of your life on earth? You know, I, I know that several years ago a popular song said, you know, got the sentence of death over you, so go skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing, and, but also love deeper and give forgiveness you've been denying. If you knew you had a week to live, you'd probably do some of those things you would probably live like you were dying. But I have a feeling that your priorities would change if you knew you had one week to live. The Bible said that it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Some of us are dying sooner than others, but we are all headed to the grave after this the judgment. Jesus said, marvel not that I said to you, uh, all the graves are going to open and they that are resurrected will hear. There will be a resurrection, Jesus said in John chapter 5, of, of the just and the unjust. They that are just will be resurrected to life. They that have done evil will be resurrected to damnation. After that final week of your life, whenever it is, there is judgment, there is eternity. Because when you die, you do not cease to exist. It's just how you die here that determines where you spend eternity. That is essentially why there is a church, and this church in particular, it is to help connect you with Jesus Christ and prepare you for what happens the instant you leave this life and enter into the next. God never intended any human being to experience hell. But if you live like a citizen of hell here, you'll become a resident of hell then. The Bible said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There is this idea that God is not willing that anybody would go to hell, so nobody will go to hell. They're misreading the mind of God in His Word that said He's not willing that any should perish, but rather that all should come to repentance. You have to come to God on His terms to avert eternal judgment. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus came into the world, He came intending to die. He was made a little lower than the angels. The writer of Hebrews said that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. 
The apostle Peter wrote that he was put to death in the flesh. Jesus lived with this eventuality that he would die. But in the month of March, as we march toward Easter, the end of this month, March 27th, I would like to take snapshots of several events in the last week of the life of Jesus Christ to spotlight how he spent the final week of his human existence on earth prior to death, burial, resurrection. In his ministry, he spent every day fully aware. He wasn't blindsided by the cross. This wasn't an accident to the plan of God. He lived and he said, I will work while it is day. For the night comes when no man shall work. Speaking of his death, he said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, I won't pray that for this cause came I to this hour. The shadow of the cross loomed large in the life of Jesus Christ throughout his ministry. But the events of the final week of his public ministry, in my mind, are especially significant. So I want to walk down that road, not with every event, but with some of them. From Saturday through the Sunday of his resurrection, this final week, Honer, a theologian, kind of lays it out like this. On Saturday, he arrives in Bethany. On Sunday, crowds follow him in Bethany. On Monday, there is the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. On Tuesday, he curses the fig tree and cleanses the temple. On Wednesday, he uh, has this temple controversy and he gives what we call the Olivet Discourse, mainly found in Matthew 24 and 25. On Thursday, Jesus eats the Passover with his disciples. He is betrayed, arrested, and tried all through the night. On Friday, he is tried again, crucified, and buried by sundown. Saturday is quiet. He is in the grave. The stone is sealed that day. And on Sunday, he is raised to live again, never to die for the history of all mankind and for eternity. Resurrected on Sunday, they would say April 5th, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Some 40 days or so later, sometime in May, and Pentecost Sunday that we will celebrate would have happened some seven weeks after that. Now, according to the Bible... Six days before the Passover, the day that Jesus was crucified, he arrived at Bethany, and it was at the house of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. Martha is kind of the domestic one who cooks and cleans and prepares for Jesus. Mary is the one who sat at his feet and heard his word earlier. Lazarus is the one who died. And after four days of decomposing In a grave, Jesus said, roll the stone away. And he called his name and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus was raised to live again. He is alive and Jesus is at his house. The Bible said Martha cooked and Lazarus sat at the table with Jesus. John chapter 12 records the story in the final week of the life of Jesus Christ. But Mary, Mary, this worshiper who feels things and sees things that seemingly no one else does, she goes and takes this bottle, this vial, this alabaster box of precious perfume that would have cost a year's wages. She comes into the dinner 
where Jesus, Lazarus, others are there. She breaks the seal. She empties it. The fragrance fills the house. And Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. The disciples, especially Judas, are indignant. Judas says, this should have been sold and given to the poor. Jesus said, you have the poor with you always. You can take care of them anytime you want, but me you have not with you always. He said, let her alone. She has anointed me unto my burial. Well, no one in the room seemed to get it. Mary knew. She understood that something is changing. What would you do the last week of your life? Crowds came to Jesus. John 12, 9 tells us this. And they came not just to see Jesus, but they wanted to see Lazarus. Lazarus was that living evidence of a miracle. Everybody knew he died. Everybody knew he spent four days in the grave. But everyone also knew that Lazarus was alive and well and eating a meal with Jesus Christ. And they wanted to lay their eyes on that miracle. And by the way, can I tell you today that the power of God is not diminished? If he can raise Lazarus from the dead, he can do it today. And we have records in modern times where he has done it. Amen. Not everybody was excited about that. It's pretty amazing to me that crooked Jewish leaders who were bent on the destruction of Jesus Christ, they said among themselves... If we could just catch Jesus, we could kill him. And if we could just get our hands on Lazarus, we would kill him too because he's evidence of the power of God. Can you imagine being so corrupted that you would destroy the evidence of a miracle and want to take a man's life that had been given it back again? That was the attitude of the last week of Jesus' life. Now, this was the season of the Passover. Three times a year, every Jewish male had to appear at the tabernacle or temple before God. And in this day, it was certainly the rebuilt temple that they were gathering to. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims are descending on Jerusalem for this feast. It commemorates the deliverance from Egypt when the death angel passed over the homes of every Jew that had the blood of the Lamb applied. I'm glad I have the blood of the Lamb of God applied to my life so the judgment of God has passed over me. Yeah, they were there to celebrate. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, says that that year there were 276,500 lambs offered as sacrifices. If it was 10 people per family represented possibly as many, 2.7 million people gathered together in Jerusalem for this significant Passover feast. Now Jerusalem can't house that many people. So there are tents and temporary structures everywhere. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people. You can imagine this many people there to celebrate that wonderful long-ago event. Little did they know that Christ, our Passover, would be sacrificed for us on their Passover Friday. Jesus is now poised to enter the city of Jerusalem. John tells us, and you have to take Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, to piece together this beautiful story. There is the borrowed cult on which no man has ever sat. 
an unbroken donkey that Jesus will ride coming into Jerusalem. The Bible says that on Monday, this next day, multitudes had come to the feast. They heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and they went out before the Lord who is outside the city of Jerusalem and they spread them in the street. They took off their coats, their overcoats, and they put them in the street to line the streets to say that this is God come in flesh. This is our Messiah. They are quoting the prophet who said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The King of Israel, Jesus, finds this donkey. He's riding there. And the prophecy of old said, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It is called the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem. The prophetic herald, your king is coming, the king is coming, the king is coming. Down the road they are. But Luke, Luke alone records what I read to you. A significant insert in the story that we must not miss. As you see this scene, there are worshipers, there are detractors, there are accusers, there are those that would like to kill him and those that are celebrating him as their long-awaited Messiah. And Jesus is on this caravan, this parade, and they're slowly descending from Bethphage down to the city of Jerusalem. But now you have to stop and put this, put this video in slow-mo. You have to kind of slow it down to really see what is taking place. They're shouting, Hosanna, the Pharisees say. Tell your disciples to stop. I mean, they're calling you God is what is implied. And Jesus said, if these, if these would hold their peace, the rocks would immediately cry out. That's why I said earlier, look at what God is doing in the Philippines. That is the kind of church that God blesses where there's passionate worship and a fervency for God. The rocks, the stones would immediately cry out. I love the writings of Alfred Edersheim, thick book on the life of Jesus Christ. Edersheim says that as Jesus is coming down the road, that the road twists and turns and rises and falls. But from Bethphage toward Jerusalem, there is a place along the road where the road rises and turns and there is a rocky ledge. And it is very probable that it is this spot where Jesus comes around this bend and the city of Jerusalem just bursts into view before you. There is the city. And Jesus Christ, Hosanna, the streets lined with coats and palm branches, People are shouting Hosanna. It is a celebration for sure. But instantly when Jesus peers over the city of Jerusalem, he is broken in his spirit. He doesn't hear just the celebration, but he hears the painful rejection of these people. For he knows that while this is Monday and the sound of the day is Hosanna, that Friday's coming and the same nation of people who cry Hosanna will cry, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. And Jesus begins to weep over the city of Jerusalem. It is not a contained cry. It is a wail. It is a lament. 
of a man who has lost his wife. It is profuse. They are tears. And I think the people standing by must be confused by this. But this is the final week of the life of Jesus Christ. They will not recognize him for the entire week for he will be falsely accused, unjustly tried. He will be put to death in the cruel form of capital punishment, crucifixion. And he wept over the city that he loved. And he prophesied over them saying, if, and I want you to notice the words very carefully, if you had known Even you in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The commentators are careful to point out that Jesus is saying to them, if you only knew, This message, he would say, is for you. It is your day. If you would have known, in spite of centuries of killing the prophets and stoning them that are sent unto you, in spite of what Stephen would later say, that you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Jesus said, if right now, if this moment, you would know, even you in this your day, the things that belong to your peace. But it turns on a dime. But now, but now, they are hidden from your eyes. If, if you only knew that an hour ago, a day ago, that peace, salvation could come to you, what would you have done? How would you have acted? But now, just like that, the curtain of spiritual blindness is pulled down over national Israel and it is hidden from their eyes. He is grieving over them. He is weeping over their rejection. And he continues to say, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. They will surround you and close you in on every side. They will level you and your children to the ground and they will not leave in you, the city of Jerusalem, one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the last week in the life of Jesus Christ. What if you knew this was your last week? What changes would you make? What prayers would you pray? What priorities would you shuffle around and change? Would your life be different if you knew? If, if, you, if you only, if you only knew This day of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem is what Gabriel prophesied to Daniel back in Daniel chapter 9. The Lord to Gabriel says to Daniel, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, 
to make reconciliation and iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. He says to Daniel, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem that came to Nehemiah in 444 B.C. until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks of 62 weeks or 69 weeks of years. And then he said, Messiah shall be cut off. He will be killed. We are living this day that I'm speaking of right now. As Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem, he weeps over them, he prophesies over them, he will enter the city of Jerusalem and he will present himself to them as the long-awaited Messiah. But they have said no and the blinders are over them and they will kill him. And the curtain will drop on national Israel and God will allow a space of grace, the church dispensation so Gentiles like you and me can be saved and that one week of seven years saved for the end of time. I can tell you that this day that I am speaking to you about today when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, it was a, it was a turning point. If, if you only, if you only knew the Bible said that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. As Messiah, he was identified at his baptism. He was authenticated at the time of his temptation. His glory was revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration. But it was this day that he would ride into Jerusalem on an unbroken colt that he would officially present himself as their Messiah to the Jewish nation. And they would say, no, give us Barabbas. What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Crucify him. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and its people because he knew all the blessings of God that he had come to bring to them are rejected and they would turn from him. And now, instead of blessing, there would be judgment and cursing. 70 AD, the 10th Roman legion, led by General Titus, would march maybe to the same precipice where Jesus saw Jerusalem. They would besiege the city. They would ransack it. Oh, men and boys, ladies and children, little girls would die in the city of Jerusalem. And you say, why would this happen to them? Because they knew not the day of their visitation. If they only knew 70 AD with the Roman soldiers surrounding you, you cannot roll the clock back to 33 AD and erase those decades of time. But today, I am preaching to people, there is still grace, there is still time, there is still mercy, there is still salvation for you. I'm not preaching today to bring judgment. I'm here to tell you that today is the day of salvation, that we can do something about it. There is still time. I don't want you to look back with regret and lament over lost opportunities and say, if I only knew. If I only 
new. We've, we've just finished a, a month of family matters in our church. And I want, I want to apply this message to a few different areas of our church. First of all, to families. You live in a season right now, regardless of your age, your station or season in life, right now is all you have. Don't keep living with this hankering, with this longing to be at a past season or a future season or in another state. I'm not talking about the state of Georgia, but the state of marriage. Paul said, if you're bound to a wife, don't seek to be loose. Whatever state you find yourself in, whatever condition, be contented there. But there are people who live their lives wishing they were someone else, somewhere else in a different setting. But if you only knew right now is the best day of your life, right now is the best time of your life, Yeah, with all the trouble, with all the sickness, with all the difficulty, today is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day. I will rejoice and be glad in this day. Amen. Yeah, quit looking back. Quit waiting for another day. This, this is the day that the Lord has made. I I will rejoice and be glad in it. Stephen Covey, leadership guru, wrote about the seven habits of highly affected people. His daughter had a little baby, a young child. And she told her dad, I don't feel like I can get anything done. You know, her dad's Mr. Organization, Mr. You know, Competent. And her dad said, hold on a second. This is a special time in your life. It doesn't matter if the dishes get cleaned or the house is perfect. You've got this little baby. This is a little season in your life. So right now, be where you're at when you're there and take care of business right now where you are. If you only knew that you will look back in the future and long for that day again. So be where you're at when you're there. As a church, there are some people that all they can do is look back. I like those songs. I like that spirit. I like that. And, and there, are some, there are some things. There are some things in the past that were better than they are today. But guess what? That was then and this is now. And we're not going back. Maybe we would like to go back. Some of you may want to go back, but you can't go back. So you're going to live back there and you're going to miss today. And 20 years from now, you're going to say, what in the world was I thinking? Or a week from now, at the end of your life, that's my message, right? What if you knew this was your last week? You would live fully to today. As a church, as a church, we're a little complacent, a little laid back. We're not like the Filipino church I've been troubled by it before I saw the video this week. We need a revival of people receiving the Holy Ghost. We need a revival of worship. We need a revival of people that recognize this is the day. This is the day. Amen. As I was preparing for this message, Sorry, I will never tell any, any faces, but faces sort of passing in my mind. That doesn't usually happen to me. Of spiritually asleep saints 
who come and go from this local church and are going to hell from the church. And I'm concerned that you're frozen over in your spirit or at least lukewarm. I'm here today to say, if you only knew that it's not going to get any better than this. And if it does, it's up to you. Don't wait on somebody else. Don't wait for the choir to do that. You, you, you. I appreciate what you're your response right now. But this is a church that you have created. This is a church that together we have made. And if it gets better, we've got to get better. If it gets bigger, we've got to grow it. It's up to us. It's up to us. It's up to us. These are the good old days that you're going to wish for five years from now, ten years from now. If you only knew what could happen to you today in this season of your life, you would be transformed. Let me interrupt this regularly scheduled sermon to say that Easter is coming. Imagine yourself sitting here, worshiping here on March 27th. Will you be alone or will there be someone near you? When I preach about those women coming to the tomb, if you read my article early in the morning, but that obstacle of the stone, who will roll away the stone for us? We can't do it. It's too big for us. There will be people here that day that have obstacles in their life that are unmovable, but the message is going to help them see that if you'll just keep coming to Jesus, God will roll the stone away. Amen. And people will be delivered and filled with the Holy Ghost, but will it be someone with you? If you only knew what God could do on that Sunday, what would you start doing now? Because it is just around the corner. Will you walk out the door at the end of church that day and say, man, if I only knew the pastor was going to preach good that day. If I only knew the choir was going to sing good. If I only knew that that would have been the day for my friend to find God. Don't live your life filled with regrets about what could have been, should have been, and never was. Because you knew not the day of your visitation. Because you missed your moment. Mary, Mary didn't miss it. I mean, she wasn't even in that inner circle of three or twelve. She's just a sweet little worshiping lady. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of clues as to how she knew. You know, that that perfume you've been saving cost you a year's wages. Very precious ointment of spikenard. Go get it, Mary. Break the seal. Pour it out. Nobody's going to understand. Just Jesus will. And after all, He's the only one who matters. Mary, Mary did not miss this moment. And I believe I'm looking in the faces of people who have made up their minds that I am not going to let this moment pass me by. I'm not going to live my life in the past. I'm not going to live my life with regrets. I'm going to make changes right now. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I come in the name of Jesus Christ.
And I know there are times, Lord, when your doctrine distills like the dew. It is gentle ideas and nudgings that we receive into our lives. We're changed to be like you. But there are also those times, Lord, when the word of God is like a hammer that shatters the rocks in pieces. And, Lord God, I pray that today that this word, Lord, from your word would break, God, some strong, stubborn wills that would wake up some people who are hell-bent on going to hell forever. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would not miss this moment, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we wouldn't live saying, if I only knew. I ask you right now, God, to begin to touch the hearts of people as we repent of our sins and as we change our ways and we turn our lives to you, I pray that you would wake up this precious church of wonderful people, that you would revive us, O oh God. You would revive us, O oh Lord, for we desperately need a revival in our souls and I pray for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, would you lift your voice now and would you pray, would you pray Would you pray? Would you pray to God right now? Hallelujah. The prophet Hosea would cry, break up your fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. Break up that stony, hard heart. It is time to seek the Lord. God, is doing a new thing. And will you not know it? He is bringing, refreshing, a revival. <laughs> That's it, pray. Lift your voice and pray. And she weep like Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And lament lost opportunities. Lament lost souls. And say, God, never again. Never again. If you only knew.